0: You all. Thank you. I love how you set the table for the word to be preached. And uh, good morning. I would like to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Gospel of Luke chapter 12. We'll be, be picking up in verse 13 this morning. And we have, just as a reminder, as you're flipping there, Jesus has been instructing us here, particularly pointed towards the disciples, but there is a group that has, a crowd that has followed and has ended up here uh, in front of Christ as he is giving this instruction. And we have come to a section now where he's about to be interrupted as he is giving this instruction to help us to remember where we have been so far. Jesus has told us what in chapter 12? Well, he has given the instruction to the disciples that they would not be like the Pharisees, that they would not have that leaven in them, that they would instead pursue the things of God. He attached that to fear of man. And we talked about how this is an issue that we all battle with to various levels and degree. We talked about the criticalness of not denying Christ in front of others. Jesus has taught us about this. And in the midst of this discourse <coughs> of not fearing men, in the discourse of not... Uh, fearing what others have to say, uh, we are landing here at an interruption to what Jesus has been telling us. And so let's look at this here in this passage to see what is going on in this text. And I think we're having a little technical difficulty in the back, so we'll just go from, oh, here we go. There we are. Here it is, Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he took them and he told them a parable. The the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I said, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself, and is not rich towards God. Amen? This is God's inerrant, infallible word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and if you know the rest of this verse, finish it with me. But the word of our God, what? What? Endures forever. How many of you in here have ever had a job as a teacher? Either that's your profession or that is uh, what you have done for the church. Raise your hand if you have been a teacher or are a teacher or a teacher at some level and capacity. Now, how many of you have been teaching a lesson as a teacher? And when you conclude your lesson, instead of the ones you're trying to give the lesson to, coming to you and asking for clarification on the lesson... Talk to you about something that has absolutely nothing to do with anything that you just prepared and taught them. Has that ever happened to you before? Right? Uh, Perhaps nowhere more is this seen in the ministry... As ministers of the gospel, we will sometimes come up here and bear our very souls. And it's a very taxing, tiring thing. And after I'm done preaching, I'm in a very compromised position. So don't ask for me. You know, if you said, can I have the keys to your truck? I'd probably give them to you, right? Uh, I'm I'm very, you know, guards kind of down. I'm very tired and taxed in that. And then I've had people come up and say, Pastor, what do you think about these new wireless microphones or the ones that they stick in your ear? And while that might be of some mild interest, It's not that interesting compared to the truth and the the fact that I bared my soul and tried my best to communicate what the gospel is saying in these passages. Or they'll say, have you seen this castle in Scotland? And that might be of some concern to me or whatever. And, And it is of mild importance, but it has nothing to do with the sermon that was just preached and nothing to do with the text that is just there. This is what we're entering in in the beginning of this verse. Jesus here is reminding them, don't be a Pharisee. Don't fear man more than God. Uh, don't, don't deny me in front of men. And someone raises their hand. Teacher, rabbi, tell my brother to give me what's mine and the inheritance. Completely derailed and detached from anything that our Lord has just been giving the crowd and the disciples here, Right? So what what are we seeing happening here, right? Well, one thing we see here is it's good to know that as a preacher of the gospel, I am not the only one who has found that as I am preaching and giving the word of God to people, they are not always all that interested, right? That sometimes even Christ, as he is giving the word, people find themselves preoccupied with different things that is going on in their mind. And in this passage in particular here, they are preoccupied, this man is preoccupied. Now, this seems odd to us because you would not bring an inheritance debate about who gets what when somebody dies to your local pastor. If you do bring it to me, I will probably gladly point you to Roger Day, who is a lawyer here in the body. And if he can't help you, he'll send you to another lawyer to help you with that, right? We have arbitrators and lawyers to deal with that. But my mother worked in the bank for many years. She retired as a teller. And one thing she said to me that has stuck in my mind is when it comes to people's money, their true colors come out. She would share about people at the local church that we went to. They also banked at the bank. And on Sunday morning, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Praise the Lord. So glad to be here. And then when one penny or dollar was off in the account down at the, at the bank, they turned into a completely different person like Jekyll and Hyde. And so here we're seeing uh, there's an issue with money. Now, I've been thinking about this sermon for two weeks. Two weeks, right? It's been melding in my mind. So I was driving the back roads in Kentucky Friday night. I was thinking about this sermon. And I think there are two ditches for you here this morning. And I'm going to warn you about them so you don't get stuck in either one. Amy already knows what I'm going to say because she was in the first service. But uh, here are the ditches. The ditch on the right is this. Oh, here we go. The preacher's going to give us another sermon about how poorly we spend our money. And so we're going to all leave here with another round of guilt. And so here we go. Let's just get it over with. Go ahead and tell us how terrible we are so we can all live with a dose of guilt as we eat lunch today. And don't buy the new iPad or the new iPhone or the new iWatch or whatever it is you want. Uh, or if you're a, you know, an Android person. No, I can't get the new whatever it is that they have produced now because the preacher said, I, I can't do that. Right. That is not what this sermon is about. It's not about riddling you with guilt. The ditch on the other side is this. There are people who are also in various places in their walk with Christ in this room and in this church. And I I want to... I personally believe preaching must have teaching in it. Sometimes... People say, now he's more of a teacher than a preacher. And what they mean by that is he has no emotion when he preaches. He is dry like a lecture, right? And so I try not to make it to where, I, but I believe first things are of first importance, right? I am not going to ask you for money today, nor is Jesus going to ask you for money today. That is not what this passage is about. You will be asked for something, but you are not being asked for money and so we're going to see this kind of impact so don't get in that ditch as well those of you who may not quite have a full understanding of the importance of how all these things work together but another thing i want you to see is this another pastor that i worked with and i talked to beck about this when i was preparing this because sometimes becky hears snippets of the sermon twice so she's going to hear this part twice there has emerged in our culture a sacredness around money it's sacred now a uh, pastor that I listened to quite frequently talked about being in a marital counseling session. And this couple, granted the context of this was up in New York. They were happy to tell the pastor counselor all about their intimate sessions in the bedroom. They had no problem going into great detail with him. Everything about it. And like most of us, God-fearing faithful ministers we're not really that interested in this discussion, right? We would rather it be turned to another place. And so like any good pastor counselor, he begins to make the turn in the conversation. Yes, but I think we have to move on to money and we need to deal with the fact that you're spending and you're saving and you're giving how it looks. And they said, now, wait a minute, right? <laughs> Just moved over from preaching to meddling, pastor, right? Here we they said... We'll talk to you about any subject, but if you want to bring up money and how we spend money, we're done with this counseling and we're leaving the church. Isn't that strange? It is as if intimacy has lost its sacredness and money has now become the sacred thing in our culture. And what does the Lord have to say about this? Well, he has lots of things to say. If I were to give you a quick outline of this passage, it would look like this if you're a note taker. First of all, there is a request that is given a request they all start with ours this morning a request is given from the audience here from one one man then there is a rejection of the request and then finally there is a rebuke all right so now let's look at this more closely verse 13 teacher or rabbi tell me tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me This seems like an odd request that you would give a rabbi but in this culture it was not uncommon that they would go to the synagogues or to the places of worship or the temple and ask a rabbi to help them sort out inheritance messes. I mean, if you think about it, an inheritance mess can really be a family problem. Some of you have probably lived through when a family member dies and the will is red and then true colors come out. Some people become angry and want more. Some, uh, that's usually the case, that causes a spark and a fire. So many families are utterly destroyed whenever inheritance doesn't go the way that they feel it should go. And so this makes sense if you think about it from one capacity. If you have a mess in your, in your family, And problems in your family, uh, then wouldn't it make sense to go ahead and try to get some resolution from the rabbi, right? From the teacher, a trusted third party who is not partial, and that everybody can come to the table around and help negotiate this thing. And another thing that you would only see if you are reading the gospel in its entirety, Uh, I don't know if you picked up on this yet, but Jesus speaks about money frequently in the gospel of luke in fact it is almost a feature of the gospel of luke nearly 21 to 28 percent of the time when jesus is speaking he's talking about money so if you've been paying attention then you would know jesus speaks on this matter regularly so if he's speaking on it regularly this guy's heard him speak on it he has this mess in his family he's going to take it to christ now let me say one thing here some of you are sitting here today you say my family is too messy. I don't want to be involved with them. Their lives are too much of a mess. The church is too messy. Don't want to be involved with them. It's too much of a mess. Tacos are also messy, but they're delicious, and I still want them in my life, right? People are a mess, and we should make efforts, even though they're a mess, to keep them in our lives. They need you, and you need them. So he's looking for resolve in all of this. All right? here we go. Look at the next verse. Here is the rejection. But he said to him, man, this is just a, he's showing distance there. There's not like an intimate relationship between this individual and Jesus. This is just somebody in the crowd. This is not one of the disciples showing distance there. Who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Now, one thing i lament here is that what's in the Greek is not clearly seen in English. Uh, I don't often like to do this, right? Greek supposed to be like underwear. It's supposed to be good support, but you're not supposed to see it. But I'm going to have to show you a little bit today. This word here for arbitrator in Greek literally means to divide. To divide out. That makes sense, doesn't it? To be one who divides. So Jesus is saying here in this passage, I am not sent to be a divider. I am not sent to be one who divides. All right? Does that make sense, church? Okay. Now... Dun, 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 dun. Does this word appear anywhere else in Jesus' teaching and preaching? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you will look down the page to chapter 12 to verse 51. We're all preparing for Christmas. Some of you are going to go completely bypass Halloween as if it doesn't exist at all. And straight into Christmas putting up Christmas trees, And we all are going to hear Christmas songs about, Let there be peace on earth. Jesus has come to bring peace. And then here comes Luke 12, 51 to burst your bubble about peace on earth. Look what Jesus says. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No. Jesus said, no. I tell you, but division. So in the first part of chapter 12 that we're looking at today, this is the same Greek word. He's saying, I am not a divider. I am not a divider here. And then, if you move down in chapter 12, he's saying, same Greek word, I am a divider. I have come here to divide. Okay? I want you to see this, because you need to understand the drama that is in this text. Why is it Jesus is saying here, in the first part of 12, he is not a divider, and then in the second part, in the latter part here, with the same word, he's saying he is a divider. The question is not whether or not he was sent to divide, but whether or not, what is he dividing people from? Or what is he dividing? In this passage, the person is seeking that he would divide what, church? Money. Inheritance. And he's saying, I didn't come here. It is not my mission to divide money up among you. But in the latter part here, he's dividing what? Truth of the gospel and those who love Christ and the reality of the gospel from those who don't. So he is a divider. He's just not a divider in this category. A little turbulence in the text, isn't it? A little little turbulent there, right? All right. This is the rejection here. Then come to be a divider over you. Verse 15. Here's the rebuke. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Now, we're going to park here for a minute. Did you know this fall marks 20 years that I have been on staff in gospel ministry of the church, minus one that I was transitioning to school in Southern Seminary. 20 years. In 20 years of ministry, I have never heard anyone come into my office or into the church and say, Pastor, I have a real problem with covetousness. I just covet all the time, and I can't control myself and how much I covet. That has never happened in 20 years. It has also not happened that people come in and say, pastor I have a real fear of man every time I go out I'm just afraid of people struggle with fear of man it's never happened in 20 years now I have had to diagnose them and help them to see those things but that just doesn't happen and here's what we're seeing remember what we've already seen Jesus has said what you're more of a Pharisee than you think right few people come to my office and say pastor I am a Pharisee I struggle with being a Pharisee that's happened once or twice not often once or twice in 20 years please pray for me and help me on this endeavor I struggle with fear of men. And here's the third one. I am a covetous at the core. Let's talk about this for just a minute. And be sure we are clear on what is being said here and what this means. What does it mean to be covetous, right? How do we know uh, we are covetous, right? Well, first and foremost, we just need to reside ourselves to the, to the reality that we are much more covetous than we realize, just like in the previous ones. We are much more covetous than we realize. Uh, we are much more after and desiring what? Things. Look what he says in the, after the comment. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his what? Possessions. Um, how many of you have ever seen that show, Hoarding, Buried Alive on TLC? I, I don't know why. I have this weird... You can ask Beck. I watch it a lot of times at night when I'm trying to shut my brain off. It's strange why I like to watch it. I've often asked myself, why do I like to watch this show? I guess partially because it makes me feel better about how much of a housekeeper I am or lack thereof and my own hoarding problems in the garage, right? Because at least it's not that bad, right? The Pharisee in me is satisfied with that, right? Uh, That's probably why. The worst show that I saw, and the kids like to watch it with me, too. Another thing that's nice about it is the language and such is usually clean enough that children can see it. And, and, you know, they get really disgusted by it. And I'm like, see what happens when you don't clean your room, children? This is what happens, right? (laughs) So, Clean your rooms. Uh, And there was one where this person was not just a hoarder of things. They were a hoarder of pets. Specifically, cats. Had over 100 cats in her house. then when the cats would die, because apparently I didn't know this, because I'm not a hoarder of cats, and I'm allergic to cats, and so I like them, but I like it when other people own cats and take good care of them. Uh, They get diseased, and they die when there's that many in a small confined space. And so there was like dried urine and dried feces everywhere in this house, and the cats were bringing it in, they were getting sick, and they were dying. Well, instead of burying the cats, this woman would put them in bags and put them in the freezer and save the carcasses. And when she ran out of room in the freezer, she began to stick them in the refrigerator to the point that all the refrigerator had was dead carcasses in it. And on top of that, she put in there dead birds she would find along the path as she walked in the woods or if it was by the road, a dead raccoon, stick it in the fridge in the refrigerator. In her mind, she was thinking, I am an animal lover. I am taking care of these creatures. I will give them the right and proper cremation that they deserve one day, just not right now. And she was drawing an identity in a person from the possessions, even though we would look at that and say that is rank gross and you have a mental problem right most of us in here would agree with that it is rank gross and you have a mental problem hoarding dead animals like this right but what about us what does our stuff look like to the living god of the universe right you know this guy in this passage he's sitting on a bubble isn't he What happens to all the. What happened to that inheritance that he so desperately wanted divided now, 2,000 years later? Where is it? Is it of any significance at all? And where is Christ? And where are the disciples? And where are the things of God? They are of first importance this morning, aren't they? See, covetousness is a problem that we have, but how do we know? We are so preoccupied. And listen, I know many of us in Carter County don't feel rich. Like we look around at Nashville and we see how the fine living that many of these stars have. They have multi-million dollar homes. And we think, you know, because Nashville's the L.A. of the South, isn't it? That's where like you'll go down to the town and drive around and you'll see movie stars or you'll see uh, somebody from the CMA Awards. You'll just see them there in Nashville. And we look at our place here in Carter County and we think we're not rich. But listen to me we have two barriers in our culture one is we're a consumer culture we are consumer oriented right it's all about buying and having we are constantly advertised towards all day long you know even even our phones how many of you have picked up your phone you've had a conversation you know I, think I'd like a new pair of boots for this fall because it rains so much here in East Tennessee and I think that I would like to have a pair that would hold up well and sturdy and then you pick up your phone and lo and behold the bottom corner there's an advertisement for new boots for the winter 2021 right the other day I told Beck I said I, I sometimes think the CNA is or the CIA is is listening to us on these devices and, and then I laughed and then she laughed then Siri laughed and then Alexa laughed <laughs> so it was all right well anyway <laughs> we're consumers we also live in a capitalistic system and i'm thankful for that i would much rather live in a capitalistic system than a communist system or a fascist system uh, it produces innovation and cradles that thing but it also breeds greed and covetness as well there is no perfect system that exists apart from jesus christ and we are so in it that we don't often realize it how covetous we truly are and so how do we think about such things, right? What about those that are rich and those that are poor? Do they covet? Sure they do. At what point do you think that Jeffrey Bezos is going to say, please don't write me any more checks, right? He keeps getting money. He keeps expanding and growing, right? He's not going to cut that off. And by the way, he's starting to look more and more like Lex Luthor. And I don't understand why that is, right, from, from the comic books. So I don't. that's weird how that happened, but anyhow. So it, it's a problem. Um, it's not just a problem for business owners. It's a problem for our government. I'm not a big fan of the lottery. And I'll tell you why I'm not a big fan of the lottery. The lottery is built on a win-lose system. Lots of people must lose in order for one person to win. And I don't know if you've paid attention as to where our government makes sure that Tennessee lottery signs are placed, but they usually don't put them in the well-to-do areas of East Tennessee and Nashville guess where they stick them? Primarily in the lower socioeconomic areas. Why? They are playing on the covetness that is in the broken, sinful heart of people who don't have as much. It is a tax on the poor. It is an additional tax on the poor, by and large. So I don't like it because of that reason. But back to this. So it, I wanted you, I, I went down that road for a minute because I wanted you to see how covetousness is so pervasive in our culture. And we are so in it, it is sometimes hard for us to discern how far in it we are. What do you think about? Here's some indicators to know if you're struggling with this. What do you think about when you are sitting and you don't have anything else to think about? What does your mind go to? Does your mind go to the things of the Lord? Or does it go to the next thing you'd like to have? Does it go to if I could just have what they have? All right. That's one indicator. What is another? How your money is spent. Or, as Tim Keller once said, what does your money fly freely towards? You just open up your wallet and it flies freely towards it. Logan and I are big Tennessee Vol fans. Wish he'd have called me and told me he's wearing his Tennessee apparel. I'd have wore mine today too because it's a big victory yesterday. But anyhow. And when, when we both started watching the Vols, Tickets to get in the gate were cheaper, weren't they, Logan? They were cheaper. They were what like 35 bucks, maybe something like that. They're what? 60 now? 60 for a, a low seat. Pay a little more if you want to, you know, you got to have friends of the alumni though. If you want the real good seats, you got to pay even more for those. And you you would look some of you in here, you're not football fans at all. You don't care anything about football. In fact, you think Logan and I are crazy because we'll pay $60 to go sit in a seat and watch people who are dressed up like uh, orange and white dreamsicles hit people that are dressed up and people that are wearing crimson or orange and blue. You think that is insanity to pay $60 to watch people run as fast as they can and run into each other just because they're wearing different colors. That makes no sense to you whatsoever. Your money doesn't fly towards that. So it's easy for you to look at me and it and say, oh, you two are silly for, for spending money on such a thing as that. Or perhaps, and I'm talking to me this morning, don't you jump up here real quick, okay? Calm down, right? Maybe you're more in the sci-fi category. Maybe you're a Star Wars fan, right? Always love Star Wars, right? Maybe you've coveted that little Boba Fett, that little one from the 1970s, the, the one that is worth the most money. There's a dream I have where I go to a yard sale and I'm rummaging through some old toys from the 1970s and there he is, that one Boba Fett. Because I I love Boba Fett collecting. One Boba Fett is there. Of course, now I buy the Boba Fetts for my children and give them to them. Because that's what you do when you covet at this age. You live vicariously through your children and give them what you want, right? And I find this one little Boba Fett. Those thousands of dollars, right? And I've got it. I would happily pay hundreds of dollars for it. But I hope I could just get it for a quarter or two, right? (laughs) My money just flies towards it. I'll open my wallet; It's no problem. Because what your money flies towards, You covet. What about what about the things of God? When a need for a missionary, like Anthony in our Sunday school class, comes up, does our money fly that direction? When Lottie Moon Christmas offering comes, and missionaries are counting on half of their half of their support needed for the entire year for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, do do we open our wallets and our money fly towards those things, or is it difficult or not happening? When, that, when those events come, to, come to, as an opportunity. Your efforts reveal your preoccupations in your life. And the Lord is asking you to look at that and examine that. Another question you may ask is, am I content with my condition? Am I content with my condition that I live in? Uh, do you rejoice in the prosperity of your neighbor? Can you tell when somebody does a little better than you financially, can you honestly look at them and say, I'm very glad for you, way to go glad to see you're doing so well or does it bother you and burn you a little bit right these are all examples of covetousness right as that great theologian Cheryl Crow once said it's not having what you want it's wanting what you've got right let's ask a final question are you discontented with what you have you know Lord's given you all these things and are you discontented with them or are you contented with them? I say these things to illustrate and make you think and ponder how deep covetousness may be in your life. Now let's move on and see this parable. By the way, Jesus says it does not, uh, it's not the abundance of life. There's three words in Greek for life throughout the New Testament. Um, bios which is where we get biology from study of is it alive or is it dead psychos which is where we get psychiatry the well-being the mentality and then zoe you ever met met a friend named zoe before comes from the greek word for life zoe here is what is used zoe it is about the things that are abundant the things that god has placed that are eternal and the value here jesus is saying is on the things of god the grace the mercy the truth these are the things that the abundance of life is found in namely the jewel of Jesus Christ, the crown jewel of heaven. Verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build large ones. Clearly verse 18 is telling us God is not satisfied when we build large barns. Don't build large barns. All right, everyone can go home for the day. We're done, right? That's what the text says, isn't it? Well, no, that's not what it means. There's nothing in and of itself wrong with building large barns. The, the issue is the attitude that is behind it. This man is blessed beyond measure. He could have done several things when he got this blessing. One, he could have said, I will take a portion of this down to the temple and give the Lord what is his due, for it is by the hand of God that I have been blessed, and I will return this blessing back to the Lord to be used for his work and for the glory of his name. Was that on this guy's radar? No, it was not. He could have said, I what's that? Yeah, he just wanna eat. He's just about self, isn't it? He could have said, Oh, I have been so blessed. There are so many in my community that are not blessed. They're not able to work. They have had losses in their families and they have great need. We see in the Old Testament that the Bible outlines the importance between Ruth and Boaz about some of those who are gathering the harvest of barley to leave a bit on the ground for those that are less fortunate to gather up and take home and use. And does he do that? Does he leave some on the ground so those in the community can come and gather what is needed for their homes? No, he does not. He wants to build the larger barns. He wants to put away for self and worry about self only. This is the issue, right? This is why Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. Is the eye the thing that's bad? No. It is the heart condition behind it and what it's being used for. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Was it because hands are bad? No. Big barns aren't bad. Hands aren't bad. Eyeballs are bad. It's the heart attitude and what's going on behind it and how it's being used. And there I will store my grains and my goods. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, Soul, look what, see, this goes back to Zoe. Remember what I said? A satisfaction and abundance where the soul takes refuge, right? Soul, Zoe, soul, life. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He is finding his fulfillment not in Christ. Not in truth, not in love, not in one faith, not in one baptism, one Lord. He finds his satisfaction in having stuff. Verse 20. But God said to him, fool. Now pay attention here. You don't often see this word in the New Testament. Fool is critical. Anytime you see this word fool, you need to sit up and pay attention. What does the word fool mean here? Well, Someone who is unwise, yes, but that's not quite getting at what Jesus is doing here. It is about someone who has fundamentally rejected the reality that is in front of them. This person has fundamentally come up against the concrete wall of the truth and reality of who God is and what is a true value, and he has rejected that. And because of that, he is a fool, a fool is someone who has adopted a worldview that is totally and completely against what the Word of God says. Several years ago, there was a book come out, God is Not Great. Have you ever heard of this book? An atheist wrote it. He was trying to pick apart Christianity. He would go around in these speaking engagements, because you write a book like that, and you get all kinds of speaking engagement, and you would speak out against the one true and living God. You know what happened to that man? He got throat cancer and died. <laughs> It's like God said, Shh. he was a fool, wasn't he? He was a fool. He rejected what was truly of value. And then verse 21. So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You know, you think that money will solve your problem, but the reality is money will just exasperate and highlight a problem that you already have. If you are Fundamentally selfish, and you have money, it will just make it worse. But if your heart is content in who God is and your heart is bent towards the Savior, it will highlight and bring through what is there. I didn't have time tonight to close out, or this morning to close out with the illustration that I wanted. When you go home this afternoon, I want you to Google lottery winners whose lives were ruined. And I want you to read eight stories about people who won the lottery and it absolutely ruined their life. Because we all think, man, I, I'm not saying money would you know, make me happy. I just want to see if it, if it would work. Right? I just want to try, right? Go and see what that money did as it just drew out the brokenness and the hardness that was actually there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word today. Help us not to be foolish, not to be fools valuing and storing away in barns that will perish away quickly but to find true value in knowing you to have your grace and your mercy in our lives god we we look at a passage like this and it is easy for us to say i wish so and so was here to hear this message may that never be us may we turn these questions on our own heart lord may you set us free from the bondage that is covetous and set us free to just rejoice and be rich in the grace and the mercy and the love that it is to know you. To have the crown jewel of heaven is to possess all things. To know Christ is to possess all things and to be rich beyond measure. Help us to see the true blessing and value this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning I've primarily been speaking to believers in the passage like this as Jesus was addressing the disciples, those who claim to be followers of his. But perhaps today you have come to realize I have been placing value on things that are not truly valuable. I have been foolish. And I want to change that now. And I want to follow Christ. I want to have what is truly of eternal weight, and that is eternal life, the Zoe, abundance of life that comes in knowing Christ through repentance and salvation. Won't you come today and know him? He's been gracious to you. He values you and loves you so much that he would set you here to hear a sermon like this so that you may draw closer to him. Perhaps you're here today. You've come to know Christ, but you've never been baptized. You've never been a part of this church. You've never made that commitment. I'll be in the back to receive you. Won't you do that today as we sing in response to the truth that has been proclaimed? Please stand.